Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. We like to think of ourselves as the store that has done all the research for them. Hey, my name is Felix. I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn how to tell the story behind the products and brands you work with, why you should feature your customers, and what is a mood board and why you need one for your brand. Today, I'm joined by Jen and Kevin from Nova Carriage. Nova Carriage sells organic and sustainably made baby clothing, toys, and gifts, and was started in 2013 and based out of San Diego, California. Welcome, Jen and Kevin. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Felix. Hey, so yeah, tell us a little bit more about, about your business and especially the what is organic and sustainably made products? Yeah, so we we did have to do a lot of educating on what organic clothing meant when we first started. So all of our clothing is free of any toxic chemicals that could be harmful to someone's baby, but also harmful to the planet. So we launched Noble Carriage as a safe place to buy products for for your baby. So we not only have um, clothing, toys, accessories, but we also have safe furniture. So that means again, no no chemicals are on any of our mm-hmm. any of our clothing, toys, or furniture, etc. Yeah, and so we we have um, really high standards, and everything that's on our site has to meet three out of the five sustainability san- standards, and those are certified organic, locally made, fair trade, handmade, and made in the USA. So I think that those standards set us apart from pretty much any other baby shop on the, on the web. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, hearing you list these, these, uh, attributes certainly makes a lot of sense from, a from a consumer and also soon to be first time father. So how, how did you know that others uh, cared about these attributes in their, in their products? Yeah. Well, first off, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we're expecting our first. Awesome. Yeah. So when I first started Noble Carriage, I, we were in San Francisco and I just think that being in San Francisco, everybody cares a lot about how their product, how products are made, where they come from. And when we started the company in 2013, that sustainable fashion movement just started to take place. So people were talking about things of uh, where does your clothing come from? What's on it? Um, and so we, I saw an opportunity to help educate people on how their clothing is made, um, what it's made of. And I thought the best place to start would be with the birth of a baby. Um, when you're most concerned with what you're putting on, onto your child's body. Um, a baby is very, is, has thinner skin when they're born. So they're more susceptible to actually absorbing the chemicals that you're putting onto them. Now, where, where did the, uh, the name come from? How did you come up with the name, uh, Noble Carriage? <laughs> well, Kevin and I argue about who actually thought <laughs> the name because I think I thought of it and he thinks he did. But we were trying to think of a vehicle for delivery. So so delivering a message from from one family to the next. Mm-hmm. And it I mean obviously a carriage. It relates to a baby and um all of our efforts we believe are are noble. So um it, that name seemed to make sense. And of course 
um, it was available on Instagram and <laughs> the URL is available. Um, so all of those things, of course, are su- super important these days. Yeah. And to add to that, I think the, the cornerstone of our brand is built on values and, uh, and really this social message that we're trying to share with uh, families. And so Noble sort of is all encompassing for that. But, um, but, you know, I think without, without noble carriage together, uh, it, it really doesn't speak to baby products and, and our longer term mission of, of sharing and educating our, our customers mm-hmm. about means to be sustainable. Got it. So I think Jen, you mentioned earlier that you wanted to, to spread this message and to educate the world about uh, sustainability and, and organic products. And you wanted to first start with, uh, with babies or, or, you know, new, new parents that, that wanted to buy products for their babies. Did you also consider other markets or other demographics to, to target? Other than other than parents, yeah. Or? I guess when you were first starting out, it sounded like you you had obviously good reasons, and it, it all makes sense for for wanting to create uh, first these uh, organic and sustainably made products for for babies because that's probably what people care about. Obviously, people care a lot about what products they 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 expose their children to. Did you also have other? I guess a short list of other other demographics that you wanted to to launch with. Um, not when it comes to organic, because it's, as far as like being sustainable is concerned, it's more sustainable for an adult to buy all used clothing um, and not necessarily mm-hmm. go out and buy like a new organic sweater. You know, like any any product you create is is causing waste. So um, when it, when it comes to organic, I think the best the best place to start and is is with the birth of a baby and four babies. So, um, so no, I don't, I don't think that I ever, um, really wanted to take on uh, a different demographic than, than parents. The innovation, parents are, are much more sensitive about, uh, the details of the products that they're, they're putting on their babies and giving their babies and feeding their babies because of how, um, fragile they are. Mm-hmm. So being able to talk about, uh, organic and sustainably made and um, having any kind of product that's uh, chemical free is going to resonate much more with a parent who's thinking about what they're giving their child. Um, but again, on the sustainability mission, we also know that babies grow out of clothes extremely fast. And if we could help educate our customers about Focusing on quality instead of quantity um, and the reasons why maybe spending a little bit more money on a product that uh, is going to last longer and be better for your child and for the planet at the same time. I think I think those messages sink in a little bit easier in the baby market than with an adult who has already made their uh, brand loyalty decisions already. Mm, makes sense. Now, when, when I think you, what you're getting at earlier too was, I think Jen, you mentioned that there was certainly a groundswell of of talk about organic and sustainability over the last few years to the point where it seemed like anyone could slap this label on and and it almost became uh, maybe to some degree a mockery, right? Where everyone could slap something on and then charge more for it. Did you f- experience this kind of uh, not necessarily backlash, but like how do you get around? that where everyone seems
teams who just be able to slap organic or be able to slap sustainable, sustainably made on their products? How do you how do you differentiate yourself from from the pack that that is so you know easily or readily able to to put those labels on their on their products? Yeah, I mean that's a fantastic question because I remember when we first started out. Um, I was at a, a friend's house in San Francisco and she goes, Oh, I buy all organic clothing for my baby. Mm-hmm, and she mm-hmm. like, ran to her room to pull out the favorite onesie and it was only 3% organic or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so again, it, what it is a real problem, but I think the solution again is education and educating people on what they're buying. And we're seeing a huge shift from when we, when we first started the company and how, how aware our audience was of, of what's on their label, what's actually the contents that are written on the label versus now, um, we, we don't have to do as much, as much education because people already trust that, mm-hmm. like I said, we're certified organic, handmade, locally made, made in the USA. We're, we're teaching people about our standards and telling them that they, they should adopt these standards for themselves as well, whether they're shopping with us or, uh, shopping with somebody else. So, um, so yeah, educate, educate, educating people about what sustainability really means, uh, what, what organic means and, teaching them about what certified organic means. You know, there's a got certified standard that's pretty much is the highest standard for all organic clothing. And if something doesn't have that on it, then you want to ask why, and you want to find out where it actually came from. Mm-hmm. It sounds like the, the type of education that you needed to, to put out there changed as the market evolved and as the market became more educated what kind of education or what what methods did you use to educate the market earlier on when there was a little bit more ignorance or a little bit less education out there and how has that changed over time now that the market has uh, gotten a better understanding of of organic and what that actually means yeah i think breaking it down um fine simplifying what you're teaching people. So uh, we started out teaching people about what our standards were and why we had them. So we did like a little, um, we did a blog post, we did a video um, explaining about how we developed these standards, how I worked with a sustainability consultant to create the standards. Um, And then from there, we walked through and did a blog post for each standard. So what is certified organic? What does this got certified label look like? How do I find it? Um, next to like made in the USA, what is the value of made in the USA? So, um, we didn't throw this information at everybody at the same time. We broke it up into separate blog posts and, um, and, and did it, you know, very organically step, step by step. Mm -hmm. And the thing I would say is every time that we introduce a new brand to our store, we, we do an entire profile on, the brand on the owner and the, and the designer, um, on the story of the collection and how, how those products are made and why, why they fit into the noble carriage store. Um, I think, I think telling people and giving people more depth to the brands that we have on our site has earned us the, the trust that we now have with so many of our customers, because 
they do feel more confident about what they're buying and um, feel much better about about you know spending money on something that is made by uh, made by somebody that that they feel like they have some connection with or they feel like they're doing better for the world or their baby because they know more about the products that they're purchasing. Right. I, I think that I've heard this time and time again from other successful entrepreneurs, successful store owners, is that they're not just selling a product. They're not just selling uh, some commoditized product. They're selling the story. They're selling the story behind uh, the product. So I think that's a great point that you bring up that when you are introducing a new brand, you make sure that you are telling their story, letting them tell their story to your audience rather than just you know launching with, hey, here's a new product, go out and buy it. So tell us a little more about this. Like, how do you approach telling a story about a new brand that you're putting onto your your store? Um, yeah, we, we take a long time to vet the brand, to be honest, before, before we bring them on. Um, we, so we'll, we'll usually have a phone call with them and talk through everything, all the details of where they act, where they get their fabric from um, to how it's transported to them, then how, where they're producing it. And then we tell that story, we break apart that story and tell, like, tell the key benefits of the brand to our customers. So, um, and, and like Kevin said before, we, we take a lot of time with each of our brands. So we don't have a ton of brands on our site. We're very, very particular, um, so that allows us the opportunity to take the time to, to tell people why, why we chose this swaddle company or this, this crib, this, because we don't carry everything. We only carry the best of the best. So we'll tell people why it's the best and, and break down, um, what it's made of and where it came from. Mm-hmm. I mean, shopping in general, there's so many choices and, What's, if it's not hard enough to be a parent, um, especially a first-time parent who doesn't really know quite what they're doing yet or, or what's the best, hasn't had a chance to do all the research, uh, we like to think of ourselves as uh, the store that has done all the research for them. And they can come to our shop and trust that if they're looking for um, a swaddle or they're looking for... Um, sleepwear that we've already looked at all of the companies out there and found ones that are are doing an exceptional job of making um, really high quality products that are safe for their child and, and good for the for the planet. Mm, so you're not just a, a, a retailer; you are becoming an advisor that they can can trust that you've already done the research for them so that they don't have to go out and do the research. And over time, you build that trust with them. Now, you mentioned that you don't stock everything. Every brand that comes to you, you're, they're not going to make it onto the, onto the store. Can you tell, a little bit more about, tell us a little bit more about this vetting process? What are some important uh, characteristics that you look for in each brand that, that, that you are considering? Well, I think first and foremost, it has to be, it has to be cute and Mm (laughs) well-designed. I think that I I am actually, I, in my previous life, I was a designer and art director at an ad agency. So design is just like inherent in me. So I believe that good design help will help to change the world. So it has to, it has to be well-designed. And then from that point, it has to be, it has to meet 
three out of a five of five of our sustainability standards. So like I said before, certified organic, locally made, fair trade, handmade, and made in the USA. It has to meet at least three of those in order in order for us to to bring it on. Got it. So the, the, let's say that you, you crafted a story or you, you figured out that the key benefits and, and why this product that you're stocking is the best. How do you make sure that this story, make sure that the brand story gets out to your customers? Like what kind of channels do you use to, to, to get that message out? Our blog posts and email marketing is, is the best, the easiest place for us to start. Um, I think social media, I'll usually share, share bits and pieces through like Instagram stories or, um, a post, but I'm able to add a little bit more substance and, and meat to, um, the story with through, through our blog posts and email marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you, we found that, that customers do a really good job of, of furthering our story. So a lot of times we'll also work with um, a select few uh, customers and influencers to to basically wear or try out our clothes and take beautiful pictures with them and share with their their community about you know why they they love this piece from whatever brand that that they that we're featuring at, at that point uh, and I mean the the dialogue that happens with between um, individuals on social media without us actually having to insert ourselves is is fantastic and it seems like a much more organic and trustworthy approach as well because it's not a, coming from a, you know a biased source like the 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 retailer uh, you guys in this case uh, do, do you do all of this work with influencers and sharing the, the brand story? Is this all done prior to the lo- to the product being available? Yeah, I usually, when we want to bring on a brand, I'll usually send it to those um, influencers or moms that we have connections with to try out before we launch it to make sure it's a product that people actually love and actually holds up, etc. That's that's interesting. So you almost have like a a panel that you work with that you uh, that are your target customers that you get your products out to them, and they are essentially doing a good chunk of the vetting for you. How did you compile this group of of uh, people that, that that are able to help you out in this way? I think I'm just uh, personally really into um, creating connections and a community, creating a community of of people. Um, through my brand, you know, I think if you can't, if you can't enjoy your job, (laughs) um, and enjoy the people that you work with on a daily basis, then, um, to me, it's not worth getting up in the morning. So, um, I really take a lot of time with each of the people we work with. I would say I'm more about the quality of the, the ambassadors or moms we work with rather than the quantity Um, so it took a long time. Like we're, you know, we're almost, we're a little over three years old and we, we built up this community, um, week, week to week. Got it. And how did you identify which, which, you know, customers or potential customers would be good ambassadors? I mean, we have, we have a lot of communication with our customers. Um, so they're shopping with us over and over again, and they're, sh- they're the same people who are sharing on social media. So I get to learn about all about them and 
and their babies and mm-hmm. kind of see that their kids grow up. I don't know. It, there's a lot of emotion. <laughs> there's a lot of emotion involved in selling and selling baby, baby goods. So I can uh, yeah, I think it's, it's kind of like this organic, cool process, I guess that happened, that just this community built o- over time. Got it. Now, now, what do you what do you ask of them? You know, let's say someone else else out there wants to create something similar. They want to, uh, you know, obviously they they need to learn more about their target customers. So they have a, a captive audience of people that are willing to try out their products and give their feedback. What what do you usually ask of them in return for for trying out these products? I mean, to be honest, I don't I, I don't really ask. I don't tell them they have to do anything. I, I say, if you like it, like, please, we'd appreciate if you tagged us and, and shared, shared who we are because we're trying to grow. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm very specific about, you have to share this if I send you this. Um, we, we really do want their honest, honest opinion and want it to feel like a natural, a natural relationship to them too. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we also do what we call noble babe features uh, which will basically feature uh, a new mama or a few new new moms each month and just kind of talk about the interesting stories and the interesting backgrounds and, and the challenges of motherhood um, in, in these features. And I think that when you, when you get into some of the intimate details of a person's life and, and the challenges they face, then we really do build a, a much closer, more personal connection. And I think that you, we don't really have to ask a whole lot out of, uh, out of the people that we work with uh, to promote our brand because they're doing it by participating in that. And, um, and it's, it's really quite interesting to see some of the backgrounds and, and the different things that, that these women are talking about, the challenges that they face, whether it's children with autism or, having four kids or being a, a mompreneur or whatever it may be, there's unique, unique stories from each of these women that, that help build this community and help validate all of the things that we're saying and, and trying to educate moms about. Hmm. Now, do you, do you look for ambassadors or, or moms or parents that, that have a following online already or are you look, or does that, does that matter it, 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 for, for you guys? Yeah, I would say, I mean, I would love, I love to partner with people who have a, mm-hmm. have a big following, um, that is important, but I wouldn't say that it's, I think the story is more important. So we do, I think we do a mixture of, of making sure that we we're featuring people who may not have that many followers, but then also, um, featuring people who do have a lot of followers, but have a lot of engaged followers, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of people out there that have tons of followers but don't have a ton of engagement. So I think that engagement to me is like is gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, content is so important. Finding a way to relate with customers to the point where they will read something longer than the length of a tweet to um, just because they're interested in learning more about it. You know, we we really do have to find people and women who are willing to share unique and interesting stories so that uh, other, our community can, can latch on to some of that, those topics and, and feel like they can be part of a, a discussion rather than on the opposite end of a marketing message. 
Mm-hmm. So you guys are creating a lots of content. Content is very important for you guys. Like I think you've mentioned blogs already, uh, pre- lots of presence on social media, and then also these features. And I've heard this 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 technique used before too, where a store owner features uh, customers, features their story, features the the customer's background. Do you is that is that the, the most engaging type of content that you create, or or, or which one of the different uh, pieces of content that you do create has been most successful in terms of engagement um yeah i would say the the noble babe features are huge because not only are we sharing it on our blog but they're sharing it they're sharing it with their audience too so and then we're sharing it to pinterest we're sharing it to facebook like it just it it's the most it's the most successful and most engaging content that we see yeah, I'm a big fan of them too. I mean, this is this entire podcast is similar where we're featuring uh, other people's stories and it is you know, you can go out there and create a lot of your own content, but sometimes the stories are just already there that need that all, all you need to do is just make way for them. And I think that that makes content a lot easier and a lot more relatable because these are stories from the people that are just like your target demographic or target customers. So it's certainly any industry, any any business out there, you'll have people that are interested in hearing stories from people that are just like them. So I think it's a it's a great way to get pretty, you know, I guess relatively speaking, easy content that that works well. Now, I want to learn a little bit more about the beginning of your business, which you have tons of, or you have, you know, a bunch of different categories of products that you sell now. What did you guys launch with? What, what kind of products did you launch with? Yeah, I purposely launched with just onesies and dolls. The reason why was because every baby needs a onesie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the most important, most practical item that you purchase. So I thought, let's find the best onesies, the best organic onesies on the planet and launch with those. So, um, so yeah, we, we, we started with just, with just onesies and then the dolls because they're, they're adorable and make a perfect gift with the onesie. Yeah, I've I've heard from uh, warnings from from many parents about the the onesies fever, where every onesie looks very cute to you that you want to buy as as a new parent. So I can certainly see why you wanted to launch with that. Now nowadays, once you are vetting new products or, or vetting new brands, looking for new products, looking for new brands, how you just how do you decide what to add next to the collection? Yes, we're, we test, but we have a roadmap kind of calendar laid out in in our office that says which categories we're going to launch in which month. Um, and we just, we start small and see how it does. Um, a lot of times, like, I mean, you just, you just never know, um, if people are going to want to buy it from us or if they'd rather, um, just buy it when they're at, when they're on Amazon or, or target or something like that. So, um, that's, that's the tricky part with like launching new, new categories. Our goal ultimately is to become the one-stop shop for a parent to come and, and buy products for their for their baby. So we realize that we can't we can't go super wide and, and just start carrying new categories left and right um, because we won't be able to really hone in on us on a category and find the right products that people want. Um, but to Jen's point we do like to focus on specific things like for instance, footwear. We just have launched a a few different uh, footwear brands that we think are really great. And it's taken about three months for us to really identify what sizes make sense. 
and what materials work for what ages. Because when you're talking about zero to six to six to 12, I mean, people are buying completely different things because at six to 12, their baby might be start walking and they need to think about the traction on the bottom of their feet. But when they're just infants, they're not walking anywhere, but their feet may get cold. So there's just different things and different considerations that we don't really think about um, until we really dive in and invest the time in, in understanding more about each product category. That, that's a good point. I think that's a unique challenge with uh, an industry like yours where the same customer has different needs over even just a year where it changes so quickly. How does that affect your marketing? You know, if you are, if you have a, if you're marketing a shoe that's meant just to keep the feet warm and all of a sudden your customer has a, as a child that's not old enough that where they care more about traction, like how do you align your marketing message with the needs of the customer as it evolves so quickly? It's a really great question. Um, I think the best answer is really in the, the photography that we, that we do and the narrative that we build around each product. Um, and what I mean by that is we probably more than most retailers, um, emphasize the importance of lifestyle photography in our products. Um, because we don't carry thousands of SKUs. Um, we really focus on a select few brands. We can, uh, we can, do a photo shoot with somebody and in the example of babies, we can shoot them in the home or in the crib or somewhere that um, would be a natural place for an infant to be with uh, their parents. Uh, for older kids, we may shoot uh, a pair of shoes out in the woods or um, walking on the street or getting groceries or at the pumpkin patch because they're walking and um, being active with your, you know, 18 month old is uh, as a, I guess, an experience that's more relatable for moms. And they do want to see shoes that can hold up at the pumpkin patch versus a cotton booty that would just get thrashed and disgusting if they started walking around in hay. So these kind of in the wild or uh, in use product shots are are very important for you to to get the message out quickly rather than you know having your your customer retext or something like that. You actually will try to show the benefits of the product in the photography itself. Yeah, I think the important thing to remember is always that moms don't have any time at mm-hmm. all, <laughs> so usually they're not they're not reading. Um, the text on every single product. So um, being able to show it through photos is very helpful for, for them. Is the photography done in-house or have you hired out for that? Yeah, we hire out for all of our lifestyle photography. Now, when you work with a, with a photographer to, to get these product sh- photos or lifestyle shots, what, what's your, how, how, any recommendations on how you can, can work with them to make sure that your, uh, your ideas are, are being manifested in the photography? Um, yeah, I mean, I come from an art direction background, so <laughs> I think um, that's just kind of, I'm really good at communicating exactly what I want. Um, but I would say maybe, maybe make sure you're, you're choosing the right photographer. Start with that. Make sure that you love, um, you, you love their work and it resonates with you and in your brand. So the photographer that we use is a mom. Um, 
she knows how these products are used. She actually shoots them on her own son most of the time. Um, so I think that that, that is super important that the, um, you feel a good connection with your photographer's, uh, work. So you, you look for photographers that have already worked in the, in the industry. Yeah. I, 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 I think it's, I couldn't work with somebody who wasn't a parent, to be honest. It's so difficult to photograph, uh, babies and kids that, um, it's, it's vital for me at least. Got it. I think it's also important in order to get the right shots. I think it's important for, for you to be there. You know, Jen, we're in San Diego, but we do photo shoots in LA and San Francisco, um, and all over the place. And the majority of the time Jen's there because she knows exactly what she wants and she wants to be able to create a better relationship with some of the people that we intend to share photos of their baby. Right. Um, (laughs) and so having her there definitely helps create a more comfortable environment. Um, it helps with relationship building and certainly helps with direction of the photo shoot and the actual end product that we get back. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, you can't always be there if you're not there. I think communication is just really important. Uh, you know, if you're not going to create an actual shot list, um, you definitely need to share with the photographer exactly what you're looking for and, and even potentially share photos that you've done in the past or other photos that um, you like to give them an idea of what you're looking for. Mm. But number one piece of advice from me is invest in a good photographer. I Got think it's, it. it's well worth, it's well worth the money. Now, obviously, this sounds like it's all very natural for, for both of you, especially you, Jen, with your background. Let's say that you were to send someone that, that worked for you out to work with a photographer for a day of shooting. What kind of direction, what kind of advice would you give them to, to make sure that they are getting the message across, essentially, to the photographer so that they are, are creating the, the messaging, the branding, the, the look that you're looking for? I mean, I, I would probably never not be there, but if I, really, if I really couldn't control the situation myself, then I would start with, I mean, I would start with a mood board of, of the brand of your brand. Um, make sure that they're clear on your, your brand messaging strategy, style guide. What, what, sorry, what, what's a mood board and what goes on it? So a mood board would just be a series of images. It could just be on Pinterest that you pin that mm-hmm. uh, that resonate with your brand or um, capture the look and feel of your brand. So you literally could just spend hours and hours on 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 Pinterest or magazines clipping out different things that are going to inspire the messaging for your brand or the look and feel for your brand. Got it. Now, did you guys go and hire a photographer, a professional photographer right away from the beginning? Did you do some of the photos yourselves to start with? Like what, when, when did you bring in the, the professional? I started, I started with a professional photographer. Um, I've just never, again, working at the ad agency, we always worked with, with professionals. Mm-hmm. So it, it would have been difficult for me to say, oh, hey, I can, I can do this myself. Right. Um, I really value, uh, photographers for, for their, their work. So, um, so we started off hiring, of course I have lots of friends who are photographers, so that helped too. Right. Yeah. Where we first started is with a friend yeah. who was a professional photographer, um, did mostly wedding photography, but 
he was having his first baby and we, we told him that we would send him a monthly allotment of clothing. Um, and all he had to do was take pictures of his baby and, and let us use them. And for him, um, at least in the beginning, he liked it because, um, it was a reason for him to take really great shots of his baby and, and kind of, um, watch the baby grow up and build a cool style for his baby. And, 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 you know, for us, it was amazing because it just took, it took product for us to get it from him. And and it was a commitment and it was challenging early on, but we had some of the best, um, the best content and the best visuals, uh, that the brand had on the internet. You know, we were helping to create that look and style for, a brand that wasn't even ours, but um, certainly it helped drive more traffic to our store for customers to purchase that particular piece. Got it. Now I want to go to a, a question that that I had asked you guys prior to the interview, which was about uh, well, which would you answered about how you are able to grow the business, and one of the ways is to maximize the the customer lifetime value with automated email marketing. So can you talk a little bit more about this? Like what what goes into your what's your strategy around email marketing? I think the strategy is pretty simple. Um, it costs a lot of money to acquire a customer. Uh, and early on when we were spending money to drive traffic, um, it was really, really hard to determine, uh, whether or not we were getting a return on our investment. Mm -hmm. And in fact, when you look at the numbers, it's really, uh, you get discouraged when you see that, my God, I make this much money on it, on this sale and it costs this much to acquire them. I'm literally making only a few dollars mm-hmm. on this order at the end of the day. And, and so if I could give advice to anybody, I would say that focus on how you're going to get a customer to come back and buy a second, third or fourth time before you start pumping money into getting them to the site in the first place. Mm-hmm. Because without, without retention and loyalty, it costs too much money to get a customer for just one time. So email marketing was that for us. Um, We, we started investing in email marketing in the second year after um, we had spent a lot of money and just driving traffic. And we tried to do our best to automate the entire process. So what's the flow going to look like? when a customer first signs up for our email list to get 10% off? What is the flow going to look like after they make their first purchase? Um, Or how a a customer abandons cart? Like, what are we going to be sending them automatically without, you know, us having to send each and every individual? Yeah, I want to dig into this a little more because I think this is email marketing. Everyone says that you should do it, but it's it's daunting, right? Because there's just so many things that it's a blank canvas and you have to figure out what's the best way to do it. And the feedback loop might take a while from the time that you create the the first kind of email flow, email drip campaign, and then wait to see what happens. So I want to talk about a little bit about what, what worked for you guys. And you mentioned uh, that uh, before you spend more money on getting a new customer to come to your site, figure out how to get the people that already 
bought from you in the past to come back again. So in your experience and in your in your world, what what's worked for you guys to get them to come back to buy again, especially by using email marketing? Email marketing is the number one because it is uh, extremely cheap. I mean, you pay to use uh, an email marketing platform like Klaviyo or MailChimp or whatever, but um, it's not nearly as expensive as it costs to spend money in, in advertising. So email marketing is very efficient. Um, setting up flows is, uh, you kind of just need to put yourself in a, in the customer's uh, point of view and determine what cadence you're going to be sending each email. You know, do you really want to be sending somebody an email every single day? Probably not. The customer is going to get really annoyed. So thinking about, about the time between each email and the types of messages that you can send somebody so that, um, so that you're connecting with them with valuable content or, or something that is engaging them to come back is really important. But email is really, is really the, the key for that because it's an affordable way to do that. And it can be automated so that you're, you know, it just runs on autopilot. Right. Can you, can you describe some of the emails that, that are in the, the flows that you have created that, that have worked well in getting people to click and then come back and then potentially buy? Yeah, I think that having an offer for somebody that comes to your site to um, to make their first purchase, whether that's free shipping or ten percent off um, or any kind of giveaway, is is um, is really great. And they give you their email in exchange for something in return, and it's a really great lead capture mechanism. And and if they don't make that purchase in the in the first interaction, then you should have some sort of um, email flow that reminds them that they have 10% off it or free shipping at your store and, and they, they should come back and purchase something. Um, so that's a really good one. Post purchase, um, is really, is really important because you want to, you want to keep a customer engaged, um, uh, beyond their first purchase. So they come back and, um, and shop again. And that can include anything from, uh, asking them for a product review to sending them a receipt uh, to building uh, a, a little bit more depth to your brand and telling them a little bit more about, uh, in our case, Noble Carriage and our sustainability standards and, and why shopping sustainable is important, um, but also potentially offering discounts down the road uh, so that if they don't come back in four months or six months that maybe you incent them to come back and, and check out some of the new products that you have. Mm-hmm. So once a customer has bought from you guys and you know, you've sent the confirmation email, the receipt already, what is the next email that, that you guys like to send out after a customer has bought already? Because I think this is another area where the, the I think it might be the very first step that a lot of store owners that don't have email marketing set up should begin, right? After you send that automated confirmation email, what, what should be the next point of contact or what, what should be the, the kind of content that you should send a, a customer after they bought from you for the first time? Well, I think that you... Um Obviously, uh, order confirmation is important. There's you can you can test all kinds of things, but 
in my opinion, you really need to be focused on having a good first interaction. So making sure that they get shipping notifications is really important. People want to be able to track their products and see that it went out in a timely manner. Um, from there, you really want to, uh, you want to build product reviews. Um, so we use a service called stamp.io to send an automated, uh, message after our shipping confirmation. Um, so that once a customer gets the, whatever they bought, they have, uh, they can come back and, and write a review and, and or let you know if there were any issues. If there's any issues, you can work that out with them. But in more cases than not, they will write a good review. And that helps with SEO. That helps with, um, you know, on-page optimization when somebody's looking for something and they see four options, but mm-hmm. one of them is five stars. They're typically going to pick the one with five stars. Now, one interesting thing that, that I noticed on your site that I've seen in plenty of other stores as well is that there's that full page kind of takeover for for a lead for, for uh, an offer. I think it's like ten percent off for an exchange for an email address. Now, this is an area where people are you know are fully for because you know you get a, a lots of opt-ins there in this way. A lot of people are against it because of the bounce rate. What have you guys found with with running this? Has it paid off in in the long? run? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's also important to, to test out what works best for your audience and your shop, because, um, we've spoken to other shop owners who the full takeover to everybody doesn't work well for them. Um, but for us, we've tested removing it and noticed a huge drop off on email signups. So, um, for us, it, it, it really helped us out a lot to have, to have that there. Also, our customer is thrifty. Mm-hmm. It really does help to offer, basically, to to grease the path to first purchase. Uh, we know that we know that when moms are shopping, they're looking for deals or they're looking for ways to to save a few dollars because clothes are expensive and they have to buy a lot of them. So, um, offering a little incentive in order to get somebody into uh, our funnel is really important. Um, when we took it off, we didn't see a difference in bounce rate. In fact, it was virtually identical when we had the full page takeover versus not having it. And the only difference was that we were capturing significantly less emails and not driving as many, uh, orders as a result. Right. So I think the, the the point is that it really depends on on the the customers and what your customers value. And I, I've heard from from store owners that sell more to to the to tech to people that are are in tech who are very averse to things like pop ups and and ads and and their balance rates will go through the roof. And this doesn't work for them. But in your case, you've identified that 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 discount is very valuable to your customers to the point that the bounce rate doesn't change because the, the pop-up, the full page takeover is almost uh, a value add for them in this case. So you mentioned a couple apps there throughout this episode so far. What, what other software, whether it be apps on Shopify or applications off of Shopify that, that you use to help run the business? Yeah, we mentioned we use um, product reviews, stamp.io that, that we love. Um, we also use ShipStation for shipping, which is awesome. Um, we use signified, which is, um, an insurance fraud app. So we have a lot of, uh, 
customers that shop with us all around the world. Um, and it kind of takes the guesswork out of, of shipping something off and being afraid that it's, it's a fraudulent order. Actually ensure the order. Um, so signified has been great for us. We also we use zero for accounting, um, email marketing. We use Clavio and, and absolutely love it. Can't say enough good things about Clavio. Um, and then our pop-up is through just, you know, and I think a new app that I, I really haven't taken enough advantage of yet, but I'm really, really excited about is drift, which is a chat app. I think that again, with like busy moms and, um, being able to quickly chat with us rather than email us is really beneficial. Um, we just don't quite have the team in place to, to um, take full advantage of Drift, but that's, that's a new app that I'm really excited about. Got it. Makes sense. So where do you guys want to see the business go this time next year? Up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think that, or I know that our focus has been on slow profitable, sustainable growth. Um, we've been bootstrapped since day one. And, um, and it, it, all that really means is that we can't spend a ton of money to acquire customers like some other um, venture backed or investor backed uh, brands can. Um, but I think that profitability is really important for us. And where we'll be profitable this year and we're looking to scale it. So uh, we have a lot of the mechanisms in place now to, to spend money in acquiring customers faster. And uh, we have better terms and relationships with our, with our vendors and a lot of exciting things coming in 2018 that um, we're, we really hope to scale the, scale our business to new levels next year. Awesome. Very exciting times ahead. So noblecarriage.com is a website, N-O-B-L-E-C-A-R-R-I-A-G-E.com. Thank you so much again for your time, Jen and Kevin. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Here's a sneak peek for what's in store in the next Shopify Masters episode. What, what really solidified our approach there was just seeing the various small companies out there that were selling a good product, but not necessarily to our market. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial. Also, for this episode's show notes, head over to shopify.com slash blog.